The following message was recorded as part of the morning worship celebration of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church in Eatonton, Georgia. More information about the ministries, staff, and worship offerings of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church can be found on our website at www.lopc-pca.org. Let's stand, and if you have your pew Bibles and want to turn, we'll be in page 724. I want to read from a passage in Luke as we celebrate Advent. I want to look at the song of Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. And I'll start reading in verse 59 and go through verse 80. On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. They made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote... His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come... And has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our fathers. To remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies. And to enable us to serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for Him, to give His people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you so much for your word that you didn't leave us to guess uh, about the good news of the gospel, but you shared your story from start to finish with us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd be in our midst this morning, uh, teaching us, changing our hearts, convicting of sin, encouraging us to righteousness, and motivating us to live in the joy of our salvation. We pray you do it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As mentioned, have four children, so you can imagine Christmas time around our house is a fun time. My oldest this year, the day after Thanksgiving, was already pulling out the Christmas ornaments. We had to go get the tree that day, which means our Christmas tree is already turning brown, and we're a week or so before Christmas. Um, and we play a game on a regular basis on the evenings. It's a simple game. We all sit around in a circle, and we have a ball, and it's kind of like hot potato. We throw it to each other, and we have it's basically categories that we name to see who can name the, you know, the most things before we switch over to another category. And we got on, a couple of weeks ago, we got on Christmas. Well, name Christmas things. What's your favorite Christmas things? And whoever gets the ball gets to say it and then throw it to somebody else. And we had stockings and Christmas tree and 
Christmas lights. We have a street near us that's full of, of decorated houses with Christmas lights that they love to go see. And, and then, you know, I start naming my favorite Christmas things, which are mostly food, you know, fudge and uh, chocolate pretzels and all these kind of different things. And the more we got to, to naming things, we started to run out and we realized that we had yet to mention the true things about Christmas. Well, you know, the birth of Jesus. You know, the wise men, the, the angel, the shepherds, you know, we started naming the, the things of the nativity scene. And I was a little convicted. Here I am, you know, a pastor. And here's my children. And I'm not leading the way in this. We, it took us a while to even get to the things that, that Christmas is really about. But I think we can all understand that. We, we, Christmas is a fun time. It's, it's got to do with family that gets together. It's got to do with the festivity of it all, the celebration, the sentimentality that David was speaking of earlier. But we get caught up in it, don't we? And at most, if we give, uh, if we see our, our culture giving any thought to the actual reason for Christmas, it's a picture of a, of a sweet baby in a manger, usually with, a, with some sort of a halo over his head, with his hands open towards heaven, and it's meek, it's mild, it's lowly, which is, there's truth to that, is how Jesus came. But there's something else going on. There's something bigger going on behind things to make the Christmas story as powerful as it has been to change the course of history like it has. There are, and you read the stories of Christmas in the, the early chapters of the Gospels, you see angels appearing to people, which we read and we think of as normal. Let me tell you, it wasn't any more normal for them to have an angel show up as it would be for us today. If we go in our house and open our closet and there's an angel. Um, we, we see wise men coming from far away, following a star, being led to, to a place that, that they can't really explain it, except that they're, they're guided there to look for this coming king and they bring kingly gifts. Then you have the tragedies that go on surrounding the birth of Christ. There's, there's babies that are murdered. There's, there's uproar that, that takes place. Something is going on. The scripture is telling us about that is much more than the sweet, sentimental festivity that we tend to think of when we think about Christmas. Well, this passage screams it to us. And this morning we want to look at basically to answer the question, what was going on? What is so amazing about the coming of Christ that gives us hope that really motivates us to live for him in a way that is much more than what we normally think? You have to understand the, the context of this passage. This is about a, a man named Zechariah, who was a, a priest of the Lord. And as you, if you go back a few verses, you can read the whole story later on today of, of Zechariah. It's an amazing story. Zechariah is, is advanced in years, and he and his wife have never had a child, which in that day and age would have been seen as a reproach, probably something that they had done, people would have thought, has contributed to this. And so he's serving as priest, and it, his name comes up for him to go offer incense in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place who nobody's ever allowed to go in, except for maybe once a year to offer sacrifices for the people. So his, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him. He goes in, and he prays, most likely one of the prayers that the priest would have been scripted to pray, saying, send us the, the redemption of Israel. We, the long-awaited one, the one that we haven't heard from or about in at least 400 years now, send us him. 
And as he prays that prayer on behalf of the people and offers this, this, this incense, an angel appears to him. And it's not an ordinary angel. It's no lowly, normal angel. It's, it's one of the, the head honcho angels. And he tells, he tells Zechariah, hey, your prayer has been heard. And it's, it's kind of a double meaning. Your prayer has been heard that the redemption of Israel is coming. But also this other prayer that you prayed many, many times over the course of your life for a child. You're going to get a child. You're going to have a son. And he's going to make the, the way ready for the coming one, the redemption of Israel. Zechariah is, is dumbfounded like most of us would have been. And he says back to the angel, well, this can't be. You know, we're, we're way too old for that. And the angel says, wait a second. I stand in the presence of the Lord and you're going to tell me it can't be? As a sign that you've asked for, this is what will happen. Most likely, he said to him, you're going to be, we think, deaf and mute. You're not going to be able to hear anything or say anything until this child is born. So put yourself in Zechariah's shoes. You know, he comes out and they realize something's going on and he goes back. His wife is pregnant. And he's got at least nine months to consider in silence and unable to speak or communicate very well to anybody. This promise that's been made to him. This truth that's been let, made known to him of the, the coming one, the one that's been waited on for all of Israel's history is here and his son is going to make the way ready. He's coming. So much so that when his son is born and they take him to have, his, have him named and they name him John, which is not a family name, um, that as soon as his mouth is opened, it utters forth praise. It utters forth praise, and it, it gives us some great clues that tell us why this baby, this coming one, is so important. So I want to basically go through three points. I want to go through the purpose of his coming, the power of his coming, and then look at the picture that, that we get from Luke of his coming that we can take home with us today. The purpose of his coming. What does Zechariah spout forth in song as to the reason that this coming child, this coming redemption of Israel is so glorious, is so great? Well, we see it on down in the passage when he says, He has come that we may serve him. And it's kind of a twofold purpose here. We serve him without fear and that we should serve the Lord in holiness and righteousness. If you boil it down, if you press Zechariah into a corner and say, why is, the, why is the coming of this Christ child so important, so great? He says the purpose of his coming. He's come so that we can serve him without fear and in holiness and righteousness all of our days. Now, it doesn't sound necessarily glamorous on the surface, but think about it. Think about what it would be like to serve the Lord without fear. What are your fears? So I think back in my early life, I, one of the, the biggest things I was afraid of was a junior high dance. Junior high dances, homecoming, those kind of things scared me to death. And part of it is because I was scared to death of girls growing up. And part of the reason I was scared to death of girls and of dances and, and those kind of things was I was scared of people. It was, it was what was under it. To, to put yourself in the middle of a dance floor as a junior high kid that's already self-conscious, that was wearing, you know, anyway, I was not, I was not the most uh, glorious athlete at that time or anything else. Um, to find yourself in the dance floor where everybody can look 
to be putting yourself out there for a girl, not knowing whether she's going to say yes to the dance or say ooh and run in the other direction, it was, it was terrifying for me. And as I look back, it really, that, that one scene sums up my, my junior high and high school days of being, living as a slave to fear of people. I wanted to be liked. I wanted to be known. Um, and, and it kept me, this, this is the thing about fears, it kept me from living freely. From, from doing a lot of things that, that maybe I, I would have done or would have experienced and definitely kept me from joy, from enjoying my junior high and high school days because of, of living as a slave to the fear of what people would think about me. And it wasn't until I came to know the Lord in college that I was experienced some release of that fear. He's saying here, hey, Jesus is calm. So that whatever it is that you fear on your deepest levels, you can be freed from. And he names actually a bunch of, of fears in this passage, either directly or, or by inference. He's, he names the people uh, the fear of people in verse 71. He names the fear of security in verse 68, where he talks about he's come and redeemed his people that idea of redemption is one that's powerful and packed with meaning in Scripture. The idea that, that I am, uh, am going to be sold into slavery, me and my family, and, and I have no way to provide for them. I, the only thing I can do is, is sell them into slavery, in, into debt slavery. And then a, a kinsman or redeemer comes and says, no, I will buy your land, I will pay off your debt, and I will set you free so you can be secure. There's the fear of being forgotten. In verse 72, to show mercy to our fathers and remember his holy covenant. Remember, at the time of Zechariah, the people of Israel hadn't heard a word from the Lord through his prophets in over 400 years. They've got to be thinking, God, have you forgotten us? Have you forgotten your promise? The fear of punishment, of guilt. In verse 77, salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. The fear of evil. In verse 79, to the shine and those living in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our, our, our feet in the pathway of peace. The fear of, of mortality in verses 74 and 75, the idea of, is this all there is to live for? I, I, I've given life my all and, and this is it? it the, the fear of, of this being all that there is to experience in life? And Zechariah comes, giving the words to the Lord, saying, no, Jesus has come to free you from those fears. He's come and accomplished something that will take that fear away. It's a powerful purpose. But secondly, not just so that we may serve the Lord without fear, but so that we would serve the Lord in holiness and righteousness. Now, this idea of holiness and righteousness growing up, the idea of holiness was not very appealing for a young boy holiness really that's something i can look forward to and aspire to to me the, the picture of holiness was was one of uh, you know the poster child of, of a guy with a squeaky clean smile and just you know never did anything bad that wasn't something i mean we made fun of those kind of people growing up but that's not the picture here of holiness in the scripture holiness and righteousness the idea of holiness is being set apart being magnificent being different ultimately belonging to god the creator of the world that's what being holy is. You've been set apart as His. He owns you. And then righteousness is, is the idea of anything that's right or good or true or trustworthy, living as, as God's people in His world as He's designed. 
You go back and read and study the first couple of chapters of the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2, and you see what we were made for and what we've fallen from. And, and, and there's longing associated with that. God, take me back there. I want to experience things without sin, a world that's, that's not broken. That's what it means to be able to serve the Lord in holiness and righteousness without fear. Not, not a slave to fear being kept from living life as it's meant to live, but no, living it in holiness and righteousness, experiencing God's best. That's why Jesus has come. Those are huge, huge purposes. But we don't just get the purpose from this passage. We get the power. Because the question comes, okay, if that's the purpose, then when I look at my life on a day-to-day basis, I don't experience that. I, I still live many times as a slave to fear. I still live many times not experiencing the holiness and righteousness that I was made for. Well, he he doesn't leave us with just the purpose. He also gives us the power. And he gives basically a list of a number of things that we can hold on to, hang on to, and the Holy Spirit can apply to us to give us power to live without fear and with holiness and righteousness. The first of those is faithfulness. And you find it in verses 70 and 72 and 73 where he over and over again says, God is faithful. He has delivered on his promise. He's alive and well. He's kept his word. So you ask the question, how do we move forward without fear and holiness and righteousness? One way is by thinking on and considering that the coming of Christ means God has kept his promise. And listen, if he's kept that ultimate promise then we can bank on everything else that he's promised us. Secondly, we see his visitation is part of where we get our power. Verses 68 and 78 talks of the Lord visiting us from on high. Anytime you read of the uh, the idea of visitation in Scripture, it's got connotations of judgment for the oppressor and the violator. Uh, the best way I can, can paint the picture for you is, if, has anybody read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis? Anyone? If not, you ought to pick it up sometimes. It's a short read. It's a fiction work by C.S. Lewis. And in it, it, it sounds odd, but in it, he pictures a group of people from hell getting on a bus and taking a bus ride to heaven. And they all get a chance to stay in this heavenly world. But when they get out of the bus, uh, because they're holding on to some sin, they're like ghosts in this heavenly world. The grass is prickly to their feet. The, the apples are so heavy they can barely budge it. Uh, they're worried that if, if water gets splashed on them, it's going to pierce them through because the weight of glory of that world. And the heavenly creatures are just frolicking and enjoying it, but they seem like ghosts next to it. And the whole time, they fear what the people of the heavenly world look forward to, and that is the sunrise. They see it in the distance. The sun is starting to rise, and they're worried that the rays of the sun will just make them disappear. It'll be too much for them to bear. Whereas the heavenly people long for it to be, to be clothed in its warmth, to, to drive away any hint of darkness. See, that's the idea of visitation here. The sunrise is visiting us from on high, and it'll chase, he'll chase away every ounce of darkness. It will be glory for those of us that know him and long for his coming. But on the flip side, it'll be terror for those who love to hide in darkness and have rejected the Lord and his provision. How do you walk forward without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all your days? Well, consider his faithfulness. Also consider his visitation. He's come 
He's inaugurated his kingdom, but he's coming again to finish that work. The sunrise, the sun is starting to rise, and it will happen. And it'll chase away every ounce of darkness. Thirdly, quickly, deliverance, 68, 71, 74, 79. It's all over the place. The idea of, of him buying us back, of him saving us, of him guiding us into peace, which just means a, a calm strength. There's nothing stronger to me than someone who is, who is, is receiving tons of attack and yet is just calm and moving forward resolutely. That is a strength. And that's the idea here of guiding us into peace. And then finally, by considering his tender mercy. I love that phrase, tender mercy. You see it, verses 68, 72, 78. Even the name John means Yahweh is gracious. So he's saying, don't name him a family name. Give him this name. Because what I'm doing is showing my grace, communicating to you by giving you this son who will announce the coming of the Redeemer, the Messiah. So you've got a purpose the Lord is he's, he's coming so that we may serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. You've got power because his coming reveals to us and reminds us of, of his work, that he's faithful, that he's visited us, that he's, he's bringing deliverance and he's showing his tender mercy. But then it's all encapsulated by a picture. And the picture is this idea we find in the opening verses of this, this song of the horn of salvation. The horn of salvation. When I used to read that phrase, I would think of maybe a, a battle horn, something you'd blow like a trumpet of, of some sorts, the same thing, you'd idea of, of maybe Gideon or something like that. But really, the, the picture here is the horn of a wild ox, um, which, if you're like me, who grew up near, in or near a farm, the, the idea of a, of a cow or an ox doesn't necessarily strike terror in you and doesn't really show you necessarily a sign of strength at, at first glance. But I was been helped greatly by uh, Pastor John Piper when he, as he studied this passage and commented on it. He said this. He said he didn't think much of a, of a wild ox until he went to the Minnesota State Fair one year. And he said he entered one of the exhibits, and here is an ox that his back was seven feet tall, he said his head stretched at least nine feet, and he said the horns of this thing just went out, which seemed like forever, and then turned up at the end. He said as he looked at this thing, it was impressive just the size, but he had the thought that entered his head, what happens if this guy gets angry? You know, you're sitting there in this enclosed place with this big beast. If he got angry, he could tear this whole thing apart. Amazing sign of strength. And then he said this. He said, we, we think of Satan, and the scriptures tell us Satan is like a, a what? A roaring lion, right? Seeking whom he may devour. He said if, if, if he was an artist, this Christmas he'd paint a picture to put right next to the manger scene of the sweet baby Jesus. And he said it would be the picture of, of, of a great ox sitting on a hill with the sun coming up behind him, rising behind him. He said it'd be seven feet tall in his back and nine feet tall with his head and the, the horns going out, jutting up at the end. And he said he'd have his head cocked just a little bit to the side and there on the end of one of his horns would be hanging a dead lion. How about that for a sweet Christmas picture? How about hanging that on your mantle next to your manger scene? See, we don't think 
of the coming of Jesus as a picture of power like that. But the scriptures speak of it like that. It says he's calm. And yes, he was lowly. Yes, he was sweet. But his coming meant something powerful for us. The trust in him. It meant that we can serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. The one that's accomplished it for us also gives us the power as he applies his faithfulness and his visitation and his deliverance and his mercy to us personally and individually, it gives us strength to live that way before him, knowing that he's coming again to finish what he started. The story of the week is without a doubt the shootings in Connecticut. And I was telling somebody earlier, my wife and I probably watched way too much stories, way too much news on it this weekend. Uh, but it's one of those things it's hard to, to take your eye off of uh, because it's so moving, especially when you have kids that age. And I was reading one article uh, of many that had been written, and this lady was saying, you know, when you encounter a tragedy like that, you can do one of two things. You can get mad at God, question Him, say, why would you let this happen? And the, the, the many, many other questions that would come with that, as many are doing. Or you can get mad at sin. And evil. And the evil one. This passage doesn't mean anything to us if we don't understand what we've lost in the fall. That we are sinners. That we are rebels. That we are the ones who are in darkness. But that God has rescued us not only from Satan, but he's rescued us from ourselves By being our horn of salvation. In power coming and providing for us what we can't do ourselves. Accomplishing it by living a perfect life that we can't live. And dying on the cross to take our punishment. To free us by his resurrection, defeating sin and death. To free us to live before him without fear. In holiness and righteousness. As we fall more and more in love with Jesus every day because of what he's done. He is our sweet savior. But he's also a horn of salvation. Take that picture with you this week and let it transform the way you approach this Christmas season and looking and longing for him to come again and finish the work that he started. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to accomplish the salvation that that we don't deserve, but that we're so grateful for. Jesus, thank you for coming in a lowly place as a baby in a manger, but also as the horn of our salvation. And Holy Spirit, apply these things to us this week. Make it personal to us. Take it from just something up in our heads and apply it to our hearts and motivate the way we live and think and interact with people this week. Be our horn of salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.